Our sermon text for today comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there, but it's also printed out in your bulletin and it'll be on the screens behind me. 1 Peter, chapter 5, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Peter, the apostle, writes to the churches in Asia Minor, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. This is God's Word. Today we are ordaining to the gospel ministry Schuyler Flowers. Uh, I asked him to sit up front as opposed to his usual place to my left because I was going to charge him and I didn't want to have to do this the whole time while I was doing it. Um, to ordain in this context also means to decree. So our church is coming together and decreeing with the authority vested in us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that Schuyler is qualified to serve as an elder or a pastor in our church. When you ordain someone, you ask them to take vows. So in that, you know, in, in that sense, maybe the closest parallel to an ordination service is a wedding service. Uh, when, you, when you get married, you, uh, you have to take vows. So whenever I officiate at a wedding, I always ask the couple, I always charge the couple before they make their vows to uh, honor one another for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do they part. And again, before I ask them to take those vows, to make those vows, I charge them and give them just an outline of the essence of what they are getting into this day as they are getting married. And likewise, this morning, I want to I give charges. So first of all, I'm going to give a charge to Skylar. And then second, I'm going to give a charge to the church because y'all are going to take some vows today too. And then third, I'll talk about the reward for those who serve as pastors. So first, my charge to Skylar. I'll read uh, verses 1 through 3 one more time, 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So the dominant metaphor Peter uses here when, it, when he describes the ministry is that of uh, a shepherd. Pastors are shepherd. The people of the church are the sheep. So if we want to understand what it means to be a pastor, we've got to understand what it means to be a shepherd. Now, thankfully, we don't have to get too deep into the work of shepherding. I'm guessing not many of you in the room have a lot of experience with shepherding. It's not a popular profession in Mississippi. But you don't have to know that much about it to draw something out of the metaphor. Uh, at the very least, we can all agree, even if you know nothing about being a shepherd, you can agree that if, if the shepherd does not, if the shepherd's distracted, if he's not paying attention to the flock, he's not going to be any good at his job, right? 
if the shepherd's just on his phone, you know, scrolling through Instagram reels, uh, the sheep are going to get lost. They're going to fall into a lake and drown. A wolf's going to come along and gobble them up. So the shepherd has to pay attention. Several years ago, I, uh, I watched the movie Lady Bird. It was directed by Greta Gerwig, who directed the Barbie movie that everybody was talking about last year. Lady Bird is a coming-of-age movie about a high school senior in Sacramento, California, and her name is Lady Bird. And I can't recommend it because some of the content, just because a preacher mentions a movie doesn't mean he recommends it. I always remember that. But there was one line in the movie that struck me. Lady Bird uh, meets with her Catholic high school guidance counselor, Sister Sarah Joan. She's a nun. And Sister Sarah Joan's talking with Lady Bird about her college entrance essay. And she says to Lady Bird, you write about Sacramento so affectionately and, affectionately and with such care. Which is funny because the whole movie is about how Lady Bird hates Sacramento. How everybody there is narrow-minded and there's nothing to do there. And she wants to go to college on the East Coast where everybody is sophisticated and cultured and worldly. So Lady Bird says, well, I was just describing Sacramento, but, but Sister Sarah Joan replies, it comes across as love. Lady Bird says, well, sure, I guess I pay attention. But to that, Sister Sarah Joan says, don't you think they are maybe the same thing? Love and attention. I like that. So Skylar, here's my first charge to you. And y'all can all listen in. I'm talking to Skylar, but you can eavesdrop. You need to, sometimes it's good for you to hear pastors talk to one another. Skylar, don't get distracted. Instead, pay attention to your sheep. It is so easy to give your attention to other things besides pastoring the church because in the moment they're going to seem almost always more interesting and more fulfilling than the work of shepherding the flock. It's easy to want to give your attention to a lot of outside speaking engagements because it is flattering if somebody asks you to come and speak to them. It is an honor to be treated, you know, kind of like an expert. But I always remember what I heard an older pastor say to me years ago. An expert is just some guy from out of town. It's really not that big of a deal. Don't make it into a bigger deal than it actually is. It's easy to want to give your attention only to new people that might come to the church instead of the people that are already there because you already know them. And if you meet with new people all the time and exclusively, then your church might get bigger and people will treat you with more respect if you have a bigger church. It's going to be easy for you, I know you, to give your attention to reading because you like to learn. You've got Scholar has some horsepower upstairs, just letting you know. You like to learn. It's going to be easy for you to give your attention to a lot of outside mission work because you, know, you want to say yes to people. You want to help out. And those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with any one of them. But you only have so much attention you can give. And just know that none of the natural pressures that you're going to encounter as a pastor will push you to give attention to your sheep. You won't face any natural pressures as a pastor to carefully and thoughtfully think through the Word of God to teach it to your people. Instead, you're going to find all kind of pressure just to like, use somebody else's sermons or reheat some of your old material in the preacher's microwave and serve it up because you'll think, will anybody ever really know? Will anybody know how much work I put into this? Is it worth it? 
you will face very little pressure to pray either for yourself or certainly for your people. Because will anybody ever know that you spent time in prayer? There will be, and while there will be pressure to spend time with your sheep because people are going to notice if you're never around, there will be all kind of temptation just to check out while you're with your sheep, not really listen, not really learn who they are, and certainly not to pray for them. Scholar, it's okay if you don't like all the people in your church. And, it's, and you can't be best friends with everybody. But we are ordaining you this day for the task of shepherding your sheep, and that means giving them your attention and in so doing, loving them. You're not going to be able to love them until you give them their, your attention. That's the first part of my charge. The second part of my charge to you, scholar, is to lead your flock by your example. That's what uh, Peter says in verse 3. Don't domineer over those in your charge, but be an example to the flock. Uh, Pastors have probably never been in lower esteem in our society than they are right now. Every week, it seems like, you read in the news the story of some new pastor that has had a moral failing and has now disqualified himself from the ministry. More than one of my friends in ministry have done that. A couple of years ago, one of the top podcasts in the country was about a pastor. Scholar knows about it. We talked about it all the time. About a pastor who blew up his church because he was a jerk to everybody, apparently. It's gotten so bad that uh, one poll recently said that Americans view pastors less favorably than nurses, doctors, teachers, military personnel, scientists, prisoners. Well, just kidding, not prisoners, but... uh, (laughs) But it has gotten so bad that pastors are now tied with lawyers (laughs) in the favorability rating. Now, I'm a pastor and I used to be a lawyer, so I don't know what in the world that says about me. But Peter says in the second part of verse 3, be examples to the flock. And Skylar, the attention we give our people will not matter one bit if they don't have any respect for our lives. We've got to be examples to them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And and how do we imitate Christ? By exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. So, Skyler, I charge you that when there's some crisis and everybody starts panicking, It's your job to exhibit the joy of the Lord. When everybody seems to want to fight, you mediate peace. When people are short with you, show patience. When wickedness and harshness abound, show only kindness, goodness, and gentleness. When The people around you seem to be marked by a lack of discipline, exercise self-control. And above all else, when anybody, but certainly your people in the church, are unfairly mean or cruel even to you, show them love. That's my charge to Skyler. Now, my charge to the church. Y'all are taking vows as well, so 
I need to give you some explanation of these vows we all are about to make. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, another great place you go in the Bible to learn about pastoring, Paul writes, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or pastor, those words refer to the same office, he desires a noble task. So you need to know something, church, before we officially ordain Schuyler, and that is that he wants to do this. We don't say that enough, okay? He actually desires the work of pastoring. No one's holding a gun to his head. He's not being compelled to do this. He willingly seeks to do this, to shepherd the flock of God. But it is a task. It is work. We don't just work as pastors one hour, one day a week. It is work. There are guys in ministry who, who don't want to do the work and are just kind of in it to collect a paycheck. It is possible, especially if you're on staff of a bigger church, to kind of hide in a church with a lot of staff and uh, not really have to do a whole lot. And it is possible to go to some churches, usually smaller churches, and coast and never really get about the task of shepherding people because... Even though the people there might not like it, they know what a hassle it is to try to find a new pastor, so they'll let you do it. But Schuyler is not one of those. He desires this task. He's not lazy. He's not in it for the money. As, as verse 3 puts it, he's not in it for shameful gain. I promise you that with his talents and brains, he could make more money doing other things. He wants to make a living and provide for his family, as Paul puts, you know, says very clearly in the New Testament that is his right. But he's not looking to get rich. So here is my charge to you at Grace Bible Church. Make it easy. Make it easy for Schuyler to be your pastor. And that means I'm going to ask you to do two things. As church members, or if you're looking to be a part of this church. Number one, just be around. It's really hard to shepherd people when you're never around them. We have a stated... Sunday morning worship service every week, and, and most weeks of the year we have a Wednesday night service, and I'm charging you to make those attendance in those services a priority. That there is an obligation for shepherds to spend time with the sheep, but that implies a reciprocal act on your part to be available enough for Schuyler to be able to do that. So be around. And then second, I charge you to be interested by that, I mean be interested when we teach. You know, we put these sermon cards out five times a year, listing what texts we're going to be teaching on any, any given Sunday or Wednesday. And uh, I think it'd be wonderful if some of you this morning made a commitment to read, just read through the sermon text once or twice on that week before the Sunday it's going to be preached. Ask some questions in your own mind about it, and then come especially on Sundays, ready to hear from the Word of God. So be interested when Schuyler teaches and all of us teach. Be interested in the, in the business of the church. Look around at some area of church life that you think needs some attention. And in addition to coming to us and telling us about it, why don't you perhaps consider also praying about it? And if you feel so led, saying, and let me take let me take it over. Let me handle this. There are a few things 
that encourage a pastor more than to have a church member come up to him unbidden and say, I've got this. You don't have to worry about it. And then third, under be interested, be interested enough to do some evangelism. The single biggest compliment you can give us as your pastors is to invite one of your friends to church because we know you're sticking your neck out when you do that. We know it's a big deal. We know you're taking a risk that J.D. or Skylar or C.J. may say something dumb that Sunday and offend your friends. So the fact that you're willing to take that risk means the world to us. It is incredibly encouraging. And I am convinced that nothing is going, nothing through the ministry of this church is going to either bring new people to Christ or grow the membership of this church like you inviting your friends. That's my charge to the church. Now, third uh, and finally, the reward for ministry. Occasionally somebody will come up to to me or or CJ or Skyler or even one of the elders and say, I I don't know how you do it because I couldn't handle the pressure that you must feel in being an elder or a pastor, hearing all these sad stories, working with people through difficult times. It just seems like such a difficult job shepherding people. Well, I, you know, I want you to know I appreciate those comments, but I don't know that being a pastor is tougher than any other profession. I certainly th- don't think it's tougher than being a teacher. I mean, having to deal with the kids all day in a classroom or parents uh, <laughs> after class is dismissed. I don't think being a pastor is harder than being a teacher. I used to be, like I said a minute ago, I used to be an attorney. It's not like your clients call you up as an, when you're an attorney just to say they love you all the time or Hey, can I give you some money? Or, you know, they're usually mad and upset with somebody, and it comes out on you when you're an attorney. I, I don't think being a pastor is tougher than being a banker or a realtor or a contractor where it feels like everybody in town is fighting over the same piece of business. I mean, every profession has its own troubles, but there are unique pressures that fall on men in full-time ministry, especially those that serve in the church, and I think it's appropriate occasionally just to talk about them. The pastor's rhythm of life is, um, is almost completely different from everybody else's because typically the pastor goes to work when everybody else is going to rest. So in that way, it's, it is an inherently isolating profession. As one of my uh, friends in ministry put it, he, he takes his day off on Friday and he said, I can't tell you how many times I would like step out of my house on Friday and say, I'm ready to do something, and then it's just crickets because everybody else is at work. When three-day weekends roll around, the pastor probably won't be going anywhere. Uh, when an invitation comes for a Saturday night event, you know, think out-of-town Ole Miss football game or a concert, a pastor wonders how in the world can I get back in time for Sunday morning. When others attend a wedding or even a funeral, they, they go there, they lay their work down, but a pastor is just picking it back up again. As a pastor, it is exceedingly hard sometimes to see the fruit of your labor. Scholar, you know this, you can go months or even years teaching the Bible and not be sure 
the Lord has done anything with it because you haven't seen anything. By the way, that's like why I like cutting the yard so much. I can see it's done, right? It's finished. I have reward for my labor. And the ministry can be tough on you personally. Being a pastor can feel like living in a fishbowl. Uh, years ago, another older pastor told me uh, that he would go to the video store and rent a movie. Now, kids, if you don't know what I meant by those words, just ask your parents after the service. We used to go to stores and pick up movies and bring them home and play them on these. I won't go into all of it, but your parents can explain it to you. But he, would, he, he told me he would go into the store to rent a movie, and he would see people in town that he knew kind of looking over the shoulder to see what the preacher's watching. Is that an R-rated movie? Oh, my goodness. It can be hard on the preacher's family, especially if you're in a church where they just expect the pastor's kids are to be perfectly well-behaved and answer every question in Sunday school, or the wife's got to serve on every committee. I will say this, though. I personally can't imagine a church where it's easier for a pastor's family than this one. I think most of my family members would agree. There are unique pressures in being a minister, and you could probably, almost certainly, actually make more money with your education and experience in some other field. So why would anybody do it? And that's because, Scholar, there are, there are two unique privileges to being a pastor. And the first one is the one that comes with ministering the Word of God. It is a privilege to teach people the Word of God. Uh, the other day I was reading a book written by a pastor, and he talked about a woman in his church whose name was Sarah. She was in her 40s. She was a vibrant woman. She, had, uh, she loved her husband. She had two teenage sons she doted on. She was a nurse, and she really cared for her patients. But then in her 40s, she developed a, an acute and aggressive form of lymphoma. And this is what that pastor wrote. Throughout those long months after her diagnosis, I tended Sarah and her family with the only tools I had been given, the firm, sure promises of the Word of God and His precious sacraments. In public worship, together with the congregation, they regularly received forgiveness, life, and eternal salvation, even though death was casting a longer and ever-darkening shadow. When she could no longer attend services in God's house, it was my honor to visit Sarah with these same gifts, to pray with them, to laugh, laugh with them and weep with them. But above all, I held out the promise of the God who had promised in His sure and certain word, Thus says the Lord, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And he was able to be at Sarah's side when she died. He had just finished reciting the 23rd Psalm to her. And then he wrote this, Do you see why I love shepherding so much? To be able to bring the one thing needful when all other things fade away, there's nothing quite like it. To have something to give when everyone else, when the teachers, the bankers, the lawyers, the counselors, and even the doctors stand by helplessly. To be able to say something of eternal significance when all other speech, however well-intentioned, rings hollow on the ear, that is an experience that humbles every 
pastor. So Scholar, we get the privilege of ministering the Word of God to people. And it's not that other people can't do it. It's just that we have been uniquely set apart for it. And when in the moment you actually see God doing His work in someone's life through His Word, it is an unspeakably holy privilege. And then second, of course, there is, there is a heavenly reward that comes with shepherding God's people. 1 Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, what's an unfading crown of glory? It, it is, I think, uh, the best way I understand it, it's an honor that lasts forever. It's an award ceremony that never stops. Now, an award ceremony that never stops on earth would be tiresome very quickly, but an award ceremony in heaven that never stops never feels awkward, never gets old, never wears out. Now, why would shepherds be singled out for this particular heavenly reward? Here's the way I think of it. Those of you who have children, you know what it's like when some other adult has invested in them. You know, maybe it's that person that gave your son his first job. Or that coach that really worked with your child so that she could play and be on the team and excel, or that teacher that stayed late to tutor. And whenever some other adult does that for one of your kids, what do you feel? Gratitude, right? You know, thank you for taking the time to invest in my kid like that. So, Scholar, do you know what Peter is telling us here in verse 4? He is saying that is how God feels about you. Because you're helping as a pastor, his children home to heaven. And Jesus, when he appears, will make sure you know his gratitude. He's going to say, Skylar, thank you for shepherding my people. Skylar, thank you for leading in hard times. Skylar, thank you for feeding my sheep. And the praise of the praiseworthy, Skylar, is above and beyond all reward. Therefore, Skylar Flowers... In the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and these gathered saints, I charge you to shepherd the flock of God. And if you do, one day our chief shepherd will appear and he will reward you with eternal and unfading glory. Amen. Let's pray together.